Good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Hey, Buju relatives. This is Ogamaganuakwe. I'm here standing in for Robert Pilot for this opening part of the segment today here on Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. Normally, I do news and I run some technical stuff for Native Roots Radio, uh, but today Robert is getting ready uh, to take a little vacation with Wendy. They're heading out to New York uh, and won't be back until next week. So we're doing a little bit of different things as we come into the tail end of the week. Uh, really excited today. We have an uh, exciting guest that Robert was able to, able to interview today we have Rita Walzik Arndt with the Minnesota Historical Society and we have Robert Lilligren from the Native American Community Development Institute NACD. Robert was able to get some great interviews with them today and uh, later on in the show we'll also hear from Wendy Pilot who's got some great information about the upcoming and planned Wolf Day here at the Minnesota Capitol. It's uh, coming in close for us. Uh, Howling for Wolves is having Wolf Day at the Minnesota Capitol in St. Paul, Minnesota on February 7th. 2023. Wolf Day is a chance for those of you who care about the wolves to sign up and take action by speaking directly with your legislators. They set up uh, times for people to come in and talk with their legislators about why it's important to take care of the wolves and uh, to advocate for the non-lethal keep the pack intact rule. And what that is, is that when there's things like a wolf hunt or uh, wolves are, uh, you know, deemed legal to kill, uh, if somebody accidentally kills the alpha male or the alpha female uh, of a pack, it actually makes the uh, wolf population worse. It makes it a lot more unstable because normally when wolf packs are intact, only the alpha male and female mate. However, when the alpha male or female is killed, um, then other wolves in the pack will start mating. And that really makes it hard for those uh, pups to survive, but it also uh, increases the population of wolves. So killing wolves really doesn't bring their numbers down uh, in the way that people think that it does. And it really doesn't protect livestock or uh, keep humans safe at all either. So um, if that's something that matters to you, make sure you head on over to howlingforwolves.org and register today for Wolf Day at the Minnesota Capitol. I know we've got some of our great longtime listeners. Uh, Alice, I think, has already signed up to go do that or had planned to sign up for that. So really looking forward to um, hearing about that from Wendy and hopefully some of our listeners as well. Um, today, I do have a little bit of news uh, locally again here in Minnesota. Uh, this coming weekend on January 13th and 14th is the Gichi Manadu Gizis Powwow at the Black Bear Casino Re Resort Otter Creek Event Center in Carleton, Minnesota. Um, really exciting to see that uh, January 13th, 7 p.m. is grand entry and January 14th, 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. for grand entry on that powwow. I'm hopefully going to be up there. So if that's something you might be interested uh, in going to um, and you happen to see me around, say bonjour relative. I'd be happy to talk to anybody. Um, really looking forward to this other um, app that I've seen here too. Uh, there's a new uh, Anishinaabe Moda, a language revitalization platform that's available for people. It's uh, free uh, to register and use and there's 120 learning modules to complete with audio and visual aids uh, for the Anishinaabe Moen language. I believe it is coming out of Canada. Um, unfortunately, this time it is only user-friendly on a computer or a laptop. Uh, compatibility with mobile devices has not been able to be done yet. Um, if you are interested, you can head over to anishinaabemoda.app slash identity account login. That's identity slash account slash login. The app is Anishinaabe Moda, M-O-D-A-A dot app. And uh, you can create a free account there to uh, build up your Ojibwe language skills. Really pretty excited about that. Uh, myself, I could use uh, some better 
better Ojibwe skills, definitely the case. And if anybody knows uh, a good coach for uh, Dakota, Lakota, I uh, tend to butcher those. So <laughs> um, this story uh, came in from hackaday.com. Wearable Scobots are full of steam in vanishing indigenous languages. Um, Danielle Boyer is an Ojibwe from the Sault Ste. Marie tribe, and she's passionate about preserving vanishing indigenous languages. And she's invented a shoulder-worn talking companion called the Skobot. And it's to teach STEAM to children through building robots programmed with indigenous language lessons and founded on the STEAM connection to give them away. Uh, she's part of the Every Kid Gets a Robot program. And uh, more than 8,000 of these kits have been distributed for students. There's a total cost of less than $20 uh, US and the 3D printed bots are helping to um, increase access to robots. So uh, that is super duper exciting. Um, I've just been uh, taking a look at uh, what they look like here. And um, if you're interested in getting a Scobot, you can go to steamconnection.org slash Scobots. That's S-K-O-B-O-T-S. Steam, like steam in a train. Uh slash scobots uh online.org slash scobots and uh it's wearable culture and it's robot designed and i mean the intersectionality of all of these things of science of math of uh robotics of language all of these things i mean so so very exciting i am um interested and uh if you you may or may not see me with one of these on my shoulder um coming in uh to this new year um they kind of look like little minions they're like a little uh cylinder um and they've got like a big round thing right in the middle like a little um like a one eyeball and i just i'm just so excited with them um the robot is um equipped with a um, speech and a flashing light and it is um, okay so it says the robot actually costs a hundred dollars to make and then it's sent to tribal schools and indigenous educational institutions for free as well as mentorship and leadership programs for students so definitely if you are somebody who uh, falls into that um, get one of these get a scobot these look super cool <laughs> really excited about that one last thing I want to cover before uh, we go to break here is that there is going to be an MMIW documentary that's going to appear at the Sundance Film Festival this month. Um, and it's by Ivan and Ivy McDonald. They are siblings and they're um, Blackfeet filmmakers. And they produce a story called Murder in Bighorn, which is a three-part documentary set in the Crow and Northern Cheyenne reservations. And it's going to provide internationally again at the Sundance Film Festival this month. Um, they did interviews with law enforcement, state medical examiners, tribal leaders, victims and families or tribal leaders and victims families and the documentary is actually telling the story of several missing or murdered indigenous women in Montana, not just one. It follows the cases of Selena Not Afraid, uh, 16, who was found dead in Bighorn County. Uh, Kaysera Stops Pretty Places, 18, who was found dead in Hardin, Henny, in Hardin, uh, Montana. Henny Scott, who was 14, who was found dead near Lame Deer, and uh, Shakaya Harding, who was last seen in Billings in 2018 and who has not uh, been found. Um, this is to bring attention to the thousands of missing and murdered Indigenous women and relatives. A crisis so prevalent, uh, it has its own acronym, and this is coming out of the Missoulium from Menorah Maybe. Um, you know, it's it's an ongoing issue uh, here in Minnesota, and Minnesota has been one of the first states to establish an MMIW office here uh, in Minnesota. And I'm really hoping that uh, places uh, west of us are going to do that as well. So we are uh, just about to go over to commercial here on Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. Um, we are going to hear again from uh, Rita from the Minnesota Historical Society and Robert Pilot. And we're also going to hear from Robert Lilligren of NACTI, the Native American Community Development Institute, with Robert Pilot uh, later on this evening. Thanks for tuning in to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Please stay with us. 
COVID-19 is still here. It's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help you protect yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. Get your booster at the 360 Colburn Clinic, operated by St. Paul Ramsey County Public Health, for a chance to win one of five $500 Visa gift cards. Each week in January, a winner will be selected from eligible persons age 5 and up who got their COVID-19 booster. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash booster. I heard sex trafficking happens a lot in Indian country. What is that? Here are some of the real reasons why sex trafficking happens in Indian country. Unequal gender roles that were forced on us by colonization. Communities don't have enough resources. Silence around domestic and sexual violence. Lack of attention and justice for missing and murdered indigenous people. There's a lot of behavior that keeps our communities out of balance. These are just a few true reasons why native communities are targeted by traffickers. When these acts of violence happen in our communities, it opens us all up for exploitation. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Health insurance that fits my budget? I'm covered. I needed health coverage I could count on and afford. Minsure helped me find a plan that works for me, and they helped me save money. Did you know that most Minnesotans qualify for savings through Minsure? And they have free experts who can help you sign up for coverage. Go to Minsure.org today and get started and get covered. That's mnsure.org. mnsure.org. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. This is Winona LaDuke of Honor the Earth, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. I'm awake. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, uh, Robert Pilot. You know, this portion is sponsored and uh, supported by a mincher, you know, Need your health insurance but don't know where to go? Minsure has free expert help to walk you through it. So thanks again for Minsure for uh, supporting Native Roots Radio. I am here and we uh, are with Rita Walizak uh, Arndt and we are going to be talking about the Minnesota Historical Society and what she does. And I'm uh, really excited to have you on, Rita. Uh, welcome to Native Roots Radio. Uh, Bonjour, Robert. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on your show and to talk about, you know, um, the work that I do at the Historical Society. Um, so first, my name is Rita Walczak Arndt. I'm a Polish descent and a citizen of the White Earth Nation of Ojibwe. Uh, I live in the suburb, live born and raised in the suburbs. So I'm, I'm a Burbs kid, Hennepin <laughs> County, um, always. And I've worked at the Minnesota Historical Society for almost nine years. Next month is going to be my nine-year anniversary, and it's very exciting. Um, I'm ex- I've had I've grown there, and it's been really great um, time growing there. Well, I've come down, uh, Rita, and thanks again for being on the show. I've come down and spoke with you, and felt like uh, really welcomed as a Native American, and. That's a, a really important thing for us because, uh, you know, we all have phobias and things like that with uh, uh, museums and historical societies. So it's really great to have a Native American down there. Can you tell us a little bit about what your job entitles? Um, sure. Um, so I am the program and outreach manager for a department called Native American Initiatives. It's one of the first departments of its kind in the field. And um, it's a all native staff, which we, we really pride on. It's really great. And it's it's a nice little thing. But what, what we try to do is we make sure that um, there's accurate and appropriate um, native representation and, you know, programming, interpretation, exhibits, and such like that. And so throughout the organization, uh, a fact that not a lot of people know is that we have the second largest historical society in the nation. And I think we need to 
to toot our horn more about that because I, I like our Minnesota pride is already pretty big. So might as well just add on to that. <laughs> and it like, it was, it, but it is a colonial institution. It was found, founded by um, Alexander Ramsey, who is a known um, Indian killer. And uh, it has, you know, that colonial tendency of the collecting of native stuff. So it's, there, our cultural patrimony uh, for Native people is at the Historical Society, and it's really, it's really, it's some can be traumatizing at time, but also very rewarding to be able to be in the space with community to kind of bridge the gap for to help welcome them back into that space to see the you know the objects, the photographs, um, and to, and to be like, hey, this is yours. Let's see it. Let's how can we help you see it. How, what do you want to know? And like, let's make it a little less intimidating and scary um, because it's a big institution. Well, that's a really good point because I, I uh, frequent uh, New York City and I'm always on the lookout for uh, because there's so much uh, native things that are kind of hidden in the city, but they also have a museum and um, a cultural center. But I go to Google right away to find out what's happening when I'm traveling. So not only that, but, you know, local people need to know um, what you guys have to offer. Yeah. And I feel like we're, um, because the department I work in native American initiatives, it's only, it's going to be seven years old this year. And so wow. it's a fairly new department, but like we're, um, we're growing. Um, we've like almost tripled in size since when I uh, first started in the, in the department. So that's very exciting. And it's also like, we have lots that we're going to do. Um, something that I want to highlight is uh, the exhibit at the History Center in St. Paul, our home native Minnesota. If you, It's uh, just celebrated its three-year anniversary, and I, I helped um, create that. And so I, I really, I'm a little biased, but I absolutely love it. And we have a, a gallery space adjacent to it that we're going to open a show on photographs later um, this fall. So stay tuned for that. We'll come back to talk more about that pr project. But like we're having, it's like an active, ongoing Native history, Native content, Native voices in that space. And that's something that um, hasn't happened in the past. Yeah, that is exciting. And I remember that when that initiative, and I've been down there too, it's very, very uh, impressive. And uh, just to back up just a second, it's always fun running into you in the community. And I really, really mean that. Um because of uh, your uh, photographs that you're, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that or? Sure. Uh, no, I think it it's a great project and I'm happy to share some more information um, for you know, listeners and viewers is like, so the Minnesota Historical Society, they have a lot of stuff, right? It's not, not just native stuff. They got a lot of other stuff, right? <laughs> um, but we also have a large collection from the star in the tribune and there was just boxes of photographs and there was these boxes and there was files just labeled indians <laughs> so which was interesting because otherwise it was like agriculture or like you know like other things but then the indians i'm like that's okay whatever um but we have gone through those photos and some of them haven't been seen since they were published in the paper on that specific day and we're really highlighting it's a lot of it is urban community from the 60s and 70s you know when a lot of of movement and organizing was happening, but they do, there are shots of reservation life as well. And so uh, we're highlighting some of those stories and it's gonna be a really great exhibit, um, really focused on like how how folks, kind of media focused on native people and how we can retell. We're gonna, it's, our working title is reframing our stories because you know there was a white, usually a white, um, reporter reporting on the story, but we're going to switch that up and tell it from um, native perspective and be like, here's how it was. Here's who was there, you know, get, get some of those um, store that, you know, that what really happened instead of a lens from a columnist. What I like too, is I, I pulled out a couple pictures you gave me and they were from some ho-chunks that were uh, dealing with radio. So it was like, yes. it was pretty fun and funny. I have that up in my studio here and uh, the the I think it was from the Fairbanks family, which is a huge not a, a oh, I'll have to think, um, but it's a huge family in Ho Chunk, so it's amazing because I know, um, and we'll get into this uh, on another show too. But I know how uh, Ho Chunks uh, have been here for thousands mm. of years too, and uh, we're scattered around here, and there's five hundred hundred of us here now, plus 
many, many uh, Winnebago of Nebraska, which really are Ho-Chunks. They're our relatives for sure. Um, so there's all these stories, uh, removal stories, um, treaty signing stories, uh, and all these things. And it, it's exciting to have uh, the Star and Tribune, and um, which was a two-day paper. It was the Star in the afternoon and the Tribune in the morning, or vice versa, um, when the in the heyday of uh, newspapers. Uh, I love history, so I, I I love looking at pictures. I love going to museums, um, and I like to see what the stories are. And also, Rita, I like to see the spelling, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, no, I that's something I do struggle with is actually the um, some of the phonetics that was used in some of the like historical photographs and everything. And I I want to fix it, but at the same like, what is fixing it like? really look like you know like because it's so so phonetic i'm like it's not bad so i've struggled with that's a, one of my struggles is like when i'm doing interpretation because i'm like i want it to be accurate but what is accurate like these people are no longer here so i can't like double check with them but you know i just want to make it as you know i want to indigenize it is the thing yeah and that's important and it's also i think there's been a really big swing and um i really believe and maybe it's just uh, the yellow volkswagen syndrome i'm really paying attention the last six seven years but i really think since standing rock there's been a really big swing again like we had in the early 90s uh, after uh, dancing with kevin costner came out um i mean dancing with the wolves you know what i mean but um that we've uh, got the spotlight shined on us again. So th this is an exciting time to be native and also show off our nativeness. Exactly. And I know you mentioned like being Ho-Chunk and like, I feel like they're in Minnesota. There's like, uh, people are just like Dakota Ojibwe, Dakota Ojibwe. And you're like, well, don't forget our Ho-Chunk friends. So I like, I'm so glad that we've um, built this relationship because it really helps um, figuring out how we can, um, you know, rectify that at the institution and then hopefully have um, an influence over other things. And another big thing is the big, the large urban community that's been around forever in the Twin Cities. There's so many different um, tribal representation there that uh, we always just have to be like, it's so much and it's so great, such a great place. The stuff that was born out of that community is just still amazing. So I, I was like, don't discount. We're not just Ojibwe, Dakota. There's other people too. Right. And, you know, bef with uh, it's interesting and we can get into this uh, uh, other times that we talk, but it's interesting about blood quantum. Mm. And I've had, uh, you know, I'm a former high school teacher and I had students that were full blood native, but not enough in one tribe. And so there's that too. the with I, I think the urban uh, Indians really took off in the 40s when they were trying to get us off the reservation and uh, you, you're right. Uh, and especially uh, the twin cities, I feel like has a rich, rich urban uh, history of native Americans, you know, we're all over the place. Yeah. My, I was just um, looking at my, it's my grandma, Margaret uh, birthday today. She would have been 95, but they moved down to from white earth in the late forties to the cities because you know, of that push. So it's like, like we grew up in the cities, cities is where it's at. And that's where community was made. And I think that's something that's really, we need to talk more about that now because the people are still here to have, share that story. Wow, exactly. Rita, uh, just give a, a shout out real quick of how we can get a hold of you or how we can come down to the, uh, to the history uh, center. What, what's your suggestion here? Uh, well, our the website is www.mnhs.org. Uh, my email is my name <laughs> at mnhs.org, so it's pretty straightforward. There is a dot between the Rita and my last name. Um, I'm happy to talk with folks. You can also, our, our front desk staff is also knows how to find us too. So lots of different ways to come see us and engage. Wow, thanks again for being on and looking forward to more conversations like this. You're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and we'll be right back. COVID-19 is still here. It's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help you protect yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. Get your booster at the 360 Colburn Clinic, operated by St. Paul Ramsey County Public Health, for a chance to win one of five $500 Visa gift cards. Each week in January, a winner will be selected from eligible persons age 5 and up who got their COVID-19 booster. 
To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash booster. Hi, Minnesota. This is David Pakman, and you can catch my show weekdays at 2 p.m. for the latest in political news on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. No matter if you're eating out or cooking something at home, eatlocalminnesota.com has you covered with a list of locally owned restaurants and food purveyors. Locally owned Vinaigrette has been offering the finest olive oil and vinegar since 2009. Reintroduce yourself to all the many flavors by tasting before you buy. From darker white balsamic to cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil from all over the world, there is something for everyone. Vinaigrette, located at 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis or at vinaigrettemn.com. The Park Tavern is your go-to destination for fun. Enjoy the fantastic food like their pizzas, burgers, and sandwiches, the best bowling in Minnesota, their wildly popular outdoor patio, great drink specials, all the big games on their numerous screens, and it's the perfect place for your next private event, even large gatherings for over 200. The Park Tavern is your go-to destination for everyone. Have fun at the Park Tavern, Louisiana Avenue, north of Highway 7 in St. Louis Park. Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about the joy of live fire cooking. Cooking over a live fire is the oldest and most basic form of cooking. What's new is in the way a fire is handled and its heat is managed. It's easier to experience and enjoy the smell and taste of food cooked over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces sells and installs live fire grills, fire pits, and ovens. Let us help you experience the smell, the taste, the fun of cooking with fire. Pizza was first made and is still best made in an open fire oven. The radiant and conductive heat of a live fire is unmatched for wood roasting and baking artisan breads too. Come see the many ways you can cook over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. ATNFAM 950, St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul. On This Queer Book Saved My Life, we talk with LGBTQ plus guests about the queer books that save their lives. On our next episode, we chat with data scientist Paul Kafer about the novel Quatrefoil by James Barr. Quatrefoil helped Paul learn that he has the power to decide when and how to share his story. We also learn about Paul's plan to read a book from every country in the world. Listen to This Queer Book Save My Life every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. right here on AM 950. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for cloudy skies tonight with a low around 17, Thursday cloudy with a high near 20, and Friday sunny with a high around 22. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette. They offer the finest in extra virgin olive oils, white balsamic vinegars, wine vinegars, and more. Reintroduce yourself to all of the many flavors by tasting before you buy. Vinaigrette is located off 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis or at vinaigrettemn.com. Bijou. I am Oshawashko Gijig. I'm from Red Lake Nation, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. And this portion is uh, supported by Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Thank you so much for your support and what a great organization and thinking, uh, talking about a great organization and a great person. We got Robert Lilligren here today. And Robert, we uh, have a little limited time here but I, you know, we we have so many different listeners all over the country. I I think we should kind of do a bio of you of what uh, oh. what you really do and where you're from because we jump on and we just have fun uh, usually every Thursday and talk about national local stuff. But I I just want to like uh, let everyone know who you are and again welcome. Bonjour, Robert. Yeah, thanks for the welcome. And you always say the nicest things, so thanks. Let's get a little ego strokes when we get together. So I appreciate <laughs> that, that too. And yeah, yeah, I'm really happy to talk about stuff that I that I've done. And you know, in a couple of cases, as you know, and maybe some folks know, I served on the Minneapolis City Council for 12 years. You know, I was the first Native cit- tribal citizen to serve on on that body to be elected to any office in Minneapolis, and that kind of launched me into this trajectory of civic life. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, just to back up, if you don't mind too, and yeah. I know you, we talked a little, we talk about this a little bit too, because I'm a, 
a Minnesota boy, and uh, I grew up on WCCO radio. That's <laughs> when it was the good neighbor, not the evil neighbor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That was a good joke. Um, and your father was on there for many, many, many years. Yeah, you served about a quarter century at WCCO Radio. It's an AM station here, one of those giants. Yeah. Uh, it's an agricultural station, and he served as agricultural director for a number of, of years there as well. And and that was the place. It was before the Internet, right? That's the place where farmers went for market information, for for technology. And, and as a Native man, he was in a rare environment. You know, he opened a lot of doors and shattered a lot of glass ceilings and he always carried that that native identity with them and so he left quite a legacy here so i just love when you recognize him yeah definitely and so you're you're a young person and now uh you're my age so we're all like on the other side of being an elder now and uh let's talk a little bit uh of what you're doing because we always joke when we see each other in the public because you wear so many different hats. Let's uh, tell our audience a little about all those hats you wear. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I started my my path in community uh, involvement, community leadership, you know, organizing my block here in South Minneapolis in the Phillips neighborhood when it became really unsafe and children kind of you know, play outside. So, so I started as a block leader and organizer and, and that work just kind of expanded. Uh, uh, you know, I volunteered like uh, like crazy amounts of time. Uh, and like any good volunteer, my reward for doing good work was more more work. <laughs> so that led to serving on maybe eight different community committees, councils, things like that, task force at, in the late 1990s that led me to think, you know, I, I kind of have a an idea of what's going on in this city. I can see the decisions that are being made in City Hall. I was not confident that the decisions being made would really be supportive of me and my uh, predominantly BIPOC low wealth neighbors. So I decided to run for City Council. I think I was the last person people thought would run for City Council and certainly the last one they thought would get elected. But <laughs> I got elected in 2001. I served three terms as the vice president of the council. And I got to tell you, Robert, that changed the trajectory of my life entirely. It introduced me to structures of, of power, to ecosystems that I had no access to before that. And wow. after 12 years, when I left the Minneapolis City Council, my elders and advisors said, now you need to figure out how to put what you've learned to the service of the Native community. And when serving in city council uh, for 12 years, it's like you take yourself out of real life, you know, and I was thinking, wow, wow did I, did I really learn anything? What, do I have transferable skills? Yeah. You know, and so after a while I realized, okay, I might have something to contribute. And so it moved into a number of leadership positions within the community, the native community, and then the broader community as well. Wow, that that that's exciting. So you, you have become like the go-to um in a good way, uh, native, uh, native, uh, not politician, but native advocate. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. And I hope it's in a good way. You know, it's not, it's interesting because it's not like I seek out, you know, these, what I joke as my 17 titles or whatever, <laughs> but, but they just kind of come to you, you know, and opportunities to, to do things like serve on the Minneapolis truth and reconciliation task force, for example, or, or the group that determined where economic development would go here post-COVID, post-George post Floyd, and, and things like that. And of course, I'm always creating opportunity to bring others along. That's been a cornerstone of my work in public life. And there are somewhere where, where I feel like uh, even if I don't really want to do it that much, I just feel like I have the the experience perspective the willingness to participate and so so i do and yeah you know and that's a i want to back up a second here that's an important uh aspect of, of being native and being in a in a community is to uh hand your knowledge and um you know uh, amplify others and you do that really with Natke. That that office is a, a rocking place of positivity, and uh, you know how did that start? Not Natke so much as as you wanting to give it away to keep it. That's a kind of a a, a term that we use. 
I love it. I love it. And that was a cornerstone from the beginning of my professional and public life. And it was a whole new environment for me. And when I was first running for office, uh, people wouldn't help me. You know, I was challenging the system. I was challenging our party. Uh, party activists wouldn't even meet with me. And, wow. and I got really frustrated. And I made the determination then that if I should ever get elected to public office or have the opportunity, I would meet with anyone who asked me. Even if I'm not going to support you at the end of the day, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's about access, right? It's about knowledge. It's about sharing. And so that has really been a priority for me all along. And then I just look back, you know, and uh, how many, uh, I, I really delight in helping to support and shape new young candidates, you know, especially women, especially women of color. And I just look back at the, the candidates I've helped, you know, been able to support early, like Susan Allen, wow. a native legislator here in Minnesota, who was the first native lesbian, uh, out lesbian elected to any uh, legislature in the country. Wow. Uh, Andrea Jenkins, who's currently our city council president, who is a uh, first black trans woman to lead mm -hmm. any city's legislative body and things like that. Uh, our lieutenant governor, Peggy Flanagan, supporting her in her first campaign for school board. Yeah. I, I wrote her first campaign contribution, uh, introduced her for her first victory speech, and wow. she brought me tobacco and asked me to administer the oath of office to her. And since I was serving in the Minneapolis City Council, I'd taken an oath of office I could administer one. And so, wow. so I just feel like what is if it's just supporting me it's not really that we're you know that, that useful but it's much more worthwhile if you're bringing others along well let's back up to, on that too uh you helped me as being a ho-chunk legislator uh that's and right. and uh really offered that right away and that and that's a good way and then even these last two cycles of elections um you and your group were out there helping our uh, politicians uh, and again amplify their voice in a good way and also showing them the ropes yeah yeah what i loved about working with you on your legislative your ho-chunk legislative campaign and congratulations they're lucky to have you is that you listen to me and not everyone does but you had such qualified people around you talented qualified people and immediately i saw the the suggestions that I've made or the guidance that I give reflected in your campaign. And so just to say Chi Miigwech for that, it's it feels good to be listened to. Well, yeah. and not only that, and I think we had a, one of the things I really listened to, and I think I, I had that experience, but I had to name it, is to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And I did that as a high school teacher. Uh, sure. almost naturally and then also, well not naturally, I had to do it, you know, just things like not ask about somebody's brother or sister that was a student of mine and, and deal with the person as a person, mm -hmm. not as so-and-so's brother or sister. Just mm -hmm. weird little things like that. Yeah, that's so interesting, Rob. And it kind of becomes more difficult when you're a candidate or an elected official because it's almost a barrier, right? An election certificate uh, can act as a barrier. It raises suspicion. You're part of the system. If, right. you're a, if you're a politician, people are like, oh, yeah, you're just a typical politician. Right. And so you really have to be intentional about listening, about about meeting people where you're at, like you say, and not not leading the conversation, but really listening. Right, and that and, and that's that is a twofold thing. Once you're uh, elected, too, you really do want to listen because there are a lot of people there that you feel like you may be boots on the ground, but they literally are boots on the ground with their own story and their own life. I agree. The people know what they need, right? Native people know what we want, know what we need. You know, it's just sort of uh, creating the access so those uh, voices are heard and then uh, sufficient resources get directed toward those. Yeah. And, you know, it. we've talked about, too, and we got uh, like just uh, uh, two minutes here, but I want to I want to bring in. We talk about uh, what's going to happen in the next few years, but also how important it is to, you know, we, we joke about when elections come up, how important it is to uh, all the way from school board to the president. But we're it's more local, right? It's more mm -hmm. local that we really need to worry about. True. And all politics are local. I'm sure you've heard heard that a million times, but we're able to act. You know, I grew up in the era of think globally, act locally. You know? Yeah. And so so you can really have the biggest impacts. 
in a local way. And, and I've just learned through the years the importance of having a place at the table of access, right? And, you know, after, uh, you know, today I'll be uh, participating in a luncheon for the officers of Minneapolis's Convention and Visitors Association. I'm vice president, vice chair of that. I'll be mm -hmm. chair in two years, have influence and access. And then I go into St. Paul for Met Metropolitan Council meetings. I'm the first native person to serve on the Metropolitan Council, a regional government. Again, right. a whole new level of access and ability to amplify our community's interests. Wow, this has been too short, and we usually talk a little longer, but I really appreciate that. And I hope our listening audience uh, appreciates it too, because we're so uh, we're so into like talking because we're we have so many similar interests uh, and just jumping right into it. So it's good to take a step back here in this new year and reintroduce you, Robert. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate all you do. Right. And likewise, thank you so much for what you do in the community. That's Robert Lilligren and Native American Community Development Institute. We'll be right back after this short break. Uh, stay, with, stay with us. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States, and 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's live and let howl. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Health insurance that fits my budget? I'm covered. I needed health coverage I could count on and afford. Minsure helped me find a plan that works for me, and they helped me save money. Did you know that most Minnesotans qualify for savings through Minsure? And they have free experts who can help you sign up for coverage. Go to Minsure.org today and get started and get covered. That's MNSure.org. MNSure.org. This is uh, Leonard Peltier. I am in uh, Coleman, one U.S. Penitentiary, and I'm listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is brought to you by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Howling oh. Oh, good one. Good one. Good one, everyone. We, uh, that's a, a staple of our show is howling for wolves. Mm -hmm. Wait, howling for wolves. That's right. Well, you know what I mean. Hey, I want to introduce my awesome and beautiful wife, Wendy. Wendy's been an animal advocate for many years. And we speak, uh, since the year one, uh, day one of, uh, Native Ritz Radio, we talk about our sacred animals. So, Take it away, Wendy. Hey, everybody. Hi. I'm happy to be here tonight. My name is Hanaji Hihani, and that means cares for them. I was given that name by my dega, Curtis. Curtis goes by Mashke Hanajinga, which means walks on white clouds. I'm a humane policy volunteer leader for the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level, and it's always my pleasure to do that. How? <laughs> That's right. So Howling for Wolves has um, some Supported Native Roots Radio also from day one. Yes. Uh, their awesome organization, Dr. Maureen Hackett, is mm -hmm. the founder and president of Howling for Wolves. And I'm really excited to talk about what they're doing on February 7th. And I'm going to ask people to save the date. Uh, so Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, is going to be Wolf Day. Uh, at the Minnesota State Capitol, and I'm really excited um, to sign up. I already signed up uh, to go there on February 7th. And what uh, this event is, 
is we're going to be able to talk about uh, the wolves, why it's important to save the wolves, uh, why it's important to stop a wolf hunt. Uh, and you, everybody out there who lives in Minnesota, can come to the Minnesota State Capitol, or you could sign up and do a virtual visit if you don't feel comfortable coming to the State Capitol um, to talk to your uh, senators and representatives about why you feel it's important to save our Minnesota wolves. And I'm really excited about it because I've done this in the past uh, for Wolf Day and for uh, Humane Lobby Day, which I do for the Humane Society of the mm-hmm. United States every year. And it's yeah. a really, it's a really um, fun and empowering day. Uh, where you meet people who are like-minded and you make new friends. And uh, you're going to check in on February 7th after you sign up at 10 a.m. at the Minnesota State Capitol. Um, they're going to have great uh, guest speakers, including Dr. Maureen Hackett, who, oh, again, wow. is the founder of Howling for Wolves. Oh. An organization (laughs) fighting to protect wolves for future generations. That's right. One of the guest speakers um, I'm excited to to tell you about is Dr. Michael W. Fox. Um, And he's been involved from the very beginning to uh, protect wolves. And he's also a veterinarian. So he is very well versed and uh, knows why it's important to save our wolves. Um, Howling for Wolves also has the greatest uh, little, um, I don't know, what do you call it? A logo. So it's the non-lethal keep the pack intact. I love that. Uh, So listen, everybody, go on. We We have the link to sign up. Uh, for Wolf Day on our um, f- Facebook page. And right now, if you're listening and you're watching on Facebook Live, you could just uh, find the information or you could just Google uh, Wolf Wolf Day at the Capitol Howling for Wolves and it pops right up and you just have to click on the link, fill in your information. They're going to serve lunch, which is awesome. And you also get a Howling for Wolves t-shirt oh. uh, and you could just say what size you want. Extra large, Yeah, please. you pick the size <laughs> you want um, and go. And it's, it's really awesome because you meet with your state senator. So I would meet with Aaron Murphy. And I would go in either by myself or hopefully with a group of people. And, and here's the thing. When, when the, when your representatives and senators see a group of people who care about the same thing coming in and talking about this, they know it's important. So when it comes across their desk, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. I had 20 people in my office talking about this. Or, oh, I had, you know, 10 phone calls about this or, oh, I had this amount of people uh, show up in the rotunda at the state capitol. This is really important to my constituents. And this is something I need to look at and care about because they can't know everything. Your state um, senators and representatives don't know what's important to you until you let them know. Um, and also, um, I'm going to put this out for Maureen Hackett that I will be there on um, February 7th. And what I've done in the past for the Humane Lobby Day is to help people, let's say it's a one person going in to see their legislator or their their senator. And sometimes it's really intimidating if you've never done this before and it's kind of scary and people don't want to do it. I would volunteer and go with them to their appointment um, and just be there to um, help them along and answer any questions that they have. So I would, I would cool. put, yeah, I would do that. No problem for uh, Wolf Day again, Tuesday, February seventh, twenty twenty three. It starts at ten ten o'clock. You check in, and then the day goes by and has lots of great stuff, lunch and speakers, and you'll meet with your uh, senator and legislator. Tuesday the 7th. Tuesday the 7th, yeah. Put it in your calendar and mark the day. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm excited about another t-shirt. Thanks yeah, I don't have that much time left, but I just wanted to give <laughs> some like fun facts about yeah. uh, wolves. Hey. You know, once a wolf has found a mate, they tend to stay together 
weather for better or worse. Robert, that's better than some people, right? (laughs) Through sickness and in health, often until death do them part. Um, Of course, it's typical only the alpha male and female that breed. So that's normally what happens in a pack. So here's the thing. Let's say they have a trophy hunt, right? And then the hunters go out and they kill the wolves indiscriminately. They don't know who the male and female alpha, uh, you know, ones that are the alpha and who only mate, right? So yeah. they, they kill the alpha uh, male or the alpha female, and then that breaks up the pack. Not only, you know, is the other animal sad because their mate is gone and dead, but now the other members of the pack will mate, and then you make more wolves, right? Wow. Exactly. So this is a, one of the reasons why it's important not to kill our wolves. Right. And you know what? Wolves will die for each other. In addition to the trend uh, toward monogamy, wolves develop such strong social bonds for their family and other loved ones. They have been known to sacrifice themselves for the survival of the pack and the family unit. That's more over Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all about the howl. Perhaps the most well-known characteristic of the gray wolf is its penetrating, hauntingly beautiful howl. And we try to mimic that every day when we introduce Howling for Wolves. This is primarily a communication tool both between lone wolves and their pack as well as between packs. When it comes to territory, interpacked howling will determine the size and strength of different packed, often, often determining whether or not the attack or to attack or retreat. So they use that howl uh, as an important communication tool. Wow. Yeah. What so a, let's keep the pack intact. Everybody sign up Tuesday, February 7th, 2023 at the Minnesota State Capitol. Yeah, excellent. And then uh, get helped by Wendy uh, going to yeah, see your I'd Senate, be happy to state help senator you. and representative. Definitely. She'll hold your hand and uh, teach you uh, the good way because you've been doing this for years. Yeah, I've been doing it quite a few years. Wow. And it's really fun. It's exciting, too, and I'll add a T-shirt to my collection. I appreciate that, <laughs> Wendy. Yeah. Hey, thanks for uh, Robert Lilligren, Ogama, and uh, and our intern in the background doing all the background stuff. I really appreciate Ayana. Um We'll be back tomorrow. Stay with us. Free Leonard Peltier. Now.